Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great Christmas and New Year's break. We're back with episode number nine. Thanks for tuning in today. We're excited about 2019. We're going to be adding something new to our podcast. We're calling them Take Fives. And uh, we do these interviews with leaders that are about five minutes long. We do them in video format, but we're going to start taking the audio and putting them up on the podcast. So hopefully you'll have five minutes to listen to those. Maybe if you can't listen to the full podcast that we're doing. We are so excited today to have Pastor Kevin Shepard join us on our Multiply Network podcast. We talk about a lot of things and To be honest with you, we got yakking and maybe went over a little bit of our time, but it was so good that uh, I know you're just going to be so encouraged. Uh, Great information. We talked leadership pipeline, practical things that they're doing at their church, shifts we need to make in our fellowship. He's got a great encouragement for you at the end. He's coming up right now. Well, we're super excited to have uh, Pastor Kevin Shepherd all the way from Burlington, Ontario, pastor at Glad Tidings Church, also works in the Western Ontario District Office. I've heard he's a fantastic golfer. I have not seen him golf yet, but uh, I have good reports that he is a great golfer. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself on... Uh, you know, ministry, family, whatever you like to share so people out there in our podcast audience gets to know you. Sure. Um, I've been married to my best friend for 22 and a half years, have uh, two kids, a son uh, who's 18 named Caleb, daughter who's 14 named Sadie, uh, been serving Jesus as a pastor for 22 years now. Uh, it's hard to believe. Been the lead pastor here at Glad Tidings in Burlington for just over 10 I uh, come from a ministry family. My dad uh, is a pastor. Some may know him, uh, David Shepard. He was a uh, district superintendent for Western Ontario District for a number of years and uh, served faithfully for a long time. So just very thankful for them. And uh, yeah, great heritage. Uh, yeah. Cool. And uh, did you have a good Christmas break? We were just talking yes. about that. Where'd you head to this past Christmas? Yeah, fantastic. My family and I drove down to Nashville Tennessee, although I am not a country music fan necessarily, but uh, my, my wife and family are. But we went down, we've got a, a, a student from our school that's a freshman at Vanderbilt University basketball team. So we had some fun down there with him. Yeah, he's not a small kid, is he? No, 6'10", 7'2", wingspan. Wow. He's 240 pounds, and he can move like a freight train. So yeah. he's uh, incredible. Yeah. Well, to this month's podcast and, and just our focus for the Multiply Network, we're talking about leadership pipeline. And uh, in conversations that you and I have had over the last year or so, uh, this has come up over and over again. And uh, so why don't you uh, tell us a little bit, why is this such an interest uh, for you? Why, why do you give so much thought to this? Why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Um, this has, I guess I've always been interested in leadership development to some degree, obviously. But uh, seven years ago or so, there was a pretty sizable shift in my own heart, mind, and in our, our church, our organization. Um, 
for it from being a goal to being a fundamental requirement for ministry in my heart and mind. So I think there was two kind of main reasons why that happened. One was our church was growing quite rapidly and we needed to develop more leaders effectively and consistently uh, to keep up with the demand. Um, but the reason was I was kind of looking around the ministry landscape and noticed there appeared to be, you know, less young leaders entering into ministry, frankly, Many of our current leaders were aging, including myself. And uh, so it, it started some pretty important conversations within our organization, a best way to, how are we going to address this issue internally? And then also systemically, how do we, how do we think about that uh, from a larger perspective in our, in our district? And um, so we, we kind of, by God's grace, we pushed through uh, some of the short-term solution attempts, conversations we had at the beginning, started to develop some longer-view strategies for leadership development. And um, I would say our we realized that our goal became not to simply plug holes in our leadership positions or to convince people, uh, some new people, to step into something and step up and lead. But the decision was made that we just want don't want to just build leaders. We want to build leaders who build leaders. So you know, you've probably heard the old Maimonides uh, quote: "If you give a person a fish, they eat for the day. If they if you teach a person to fish, they eat for a lifetime." I started to add to that: if you teach a person to teach a person to fish, you can feed a nation. So how that translates and how that looks for us in a leadership shift and uh, lens would be if you give a person an opportunity to lead they can lead in a moment if you teach a person to lead they can lead many moments but if you teach a person how to teach people to lead they can lead their culture and ultimately you know change the world so we quickly discovered that to do this effectively in a scale of any sort of sense of momentum we needed to build practical systems to do that we talked about that with our leadership staff team we wrestled it for quite a long time and just started to build uh, leadership development pipelines and practical systems and structures to kind of help us stay true to that, to that form. So um, it started as an interest and then has really developed into something that I see as unbelievably essential for every leader. Well, and it, and for every organization, it rises and falls on leadership and the Pentecostal assemblies of Canada is no different. And so you've been around these circles you know, from day one, just like yep. myself and have, you know, gone through our processes and leadership development. And, but now we're at a point where we, you know, the stats, I know the stats, 67% of our credential holders are over the age of 50. Local churches are having problems uh, filling even paid staff positions. Older pastors are hitting the, the off ramp looking to retire those boomers and uh, local church is always looking, as you mentioned, for volunteers, you know, maybe plugging holes. So how did we get here? How did we get to this point where we're coming into a leadership, um, not a crisis, but is it a crisis? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think we're probably, I, I think we're on the edge of a crisis if we're not in one, for sure. And And depending on who you talk to, they feel the pain of it in different ways. Um, but I mean, how do we get here? I think that's probably a, you know, there's a lot of answers to that question, but I, I boil it down to, I think we, 
we've got to stop reversing the cause and effect of the church. So what I mean by that is we've, we've fooled ourselves into thinking that if you build a church, you'll make disciples. And that just doesn't happen. And that's, frankly, reversing cause and effect. Jesus didn't tell us to build churches to get disciples. He told us to make disciples. And that's how churches are birthed and formed and, and shaped. And so I think we got to stop reversing cause and effect. we got to stop thinking that if we somehow do church well, we're going to necessarily get disciples. Uh, we've got we to make disciples properly and... And then we'll, it'll lead to building great churches. And, and by the way, when I say make disciples, I think Jesus meant like he did. Correct. So, yeah. right, like it's not a 10-week alpha course, and we, we have alpha. Nothing has alpha, but yeah. it, it's, it's daily uh, sharing life, long-term engaging. So, you know, I think... Modern ministry, and this this might feel a little unfair, but I, I, I've been giving this some thought over the last uh, week or so. Modern ministry values doing big things fast and famously. Meaningful ministry is mostly doing overlooked things over a long period of time quietly. Wow. Wow. And so I think every leader in the church needs to own the responsibility of building leaders who build leaders. Right. That's how we got here. It's because we're not building leaders. We're not building disciples who build leaders and build disciples. That's the bottom line. And do you think, you know, do you think that having paid clergy, of course we're paid clergy. Yeah. But has it, has it kind of hurt us in some ways where it's like, well, we'll just pay the pastor to do that. Or we'll just hire more staff. We don't need to train leaders. We'll just, has that hurt us? Has we have we have we separated the clergy and laity too much? Uh, yeah, I think there's been a bit of a, a drawing back a little over the last uh, couple of decades there, which has been good, I would say. But I, I would say it even goes further than that. I, I think as professional clergy, we have not done our job properly. Okay, uh, we've got to own the responsibility of this, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think we've made the body of Christ anemic as it relates to hearing the vision for the church from God. Like we have professionalized listening to God. Whoa. And I, I man, I think that's offensive to God. He's, he's speaking to every leader, every believer, every person in the church and downloading his vision, his dream and his purpose for the church to them. And I think if we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, we got to listen to the church more. Right. And that might be another whole conversation that we have about vision development. But, you know, I think that there's some, we've got to own some of the responsibility of what we haven't done. It, it's like this, Paul, you know, um, one of the things we say around here about um, uh, children development, raising, raising kids, is that parents are the primary spiritual emphasis for their children. And as pastors, you know, we would get frustrated if a parent hands their kid off to the youth department and says, you know, make me a spiritual kid. We're like, what are the, what are the chances of that? There's no way. Uh, the statistics are the average kid is at church an average of 40 hours a year. You can't, you can't form a spiritual giant in 40 hours a year. Parents have 3,000 hours a year with their kids, take out work, time, and all that stuff. So 
you know, we, we make that distinction here in our church. We say, look, you have 3,000 hours with them. We have an average of 40 hours. You're the primary spiritual emphasis. So we will partner with you. We will support you. We'll help you. But it's your job to do. So as pastors, we're like, every youth pastor is like, don't drop your kid off to me 20 nights a year and expect him to be a spiritual leader. It's, it's not, if it's not modeled and emphasized at home, it's not going to happen. But here's, here's why I bring that up. Because I feel like we've been the irresponsible parent, if you will, with our Bible colleges. So we talk about leadership development. As pastors, we're like, why aren't you producing the, you know, top level spiritual giant pastor leader that I want to hire? Meanwhile, we've abdicated our responsibility to recognize it's, it's our job first to build them as spiritual leaders, and the Bible college should support the leadership development that we've already nurtured and we've already we've done. So I just think, I don't know if that's answering your question, but I just think we've got to, we've got to own the responsibility of this. We've got to say, look, it's, it's on me. It's on you. It's on us to say, we're, recognize first we're not where we need to be in this area. We need to be way more intentional about it. And we can't just expect our Bible colleges to take these kids that we haven't done a good job raising them with any sort of spiritual depth and expect them to come out the other side of a degree and be ready to, ready to rock. I, you know, I just think we got to own it. Yeah. And it, it, so much stuff happens at the local church and for us just to outsource all the leadership development and, and guidance. And we're here to come alongside. I totally agree with that. So what are the right questions we need to be asking then? What's the right culture we need to be creating in our local churches? Cause I totally agree. Local church has, has a bigger role than maybe like maybe even a Bible college or you pick the YWAMs or the, they're helpful yeah. and they, they help form uh, people. And, but you're talking about getting to families. So what are the right questions? What's the right culture? So culture takes a long time to, to develop and produce and that, that can be challenging. And maybe that's where um, as leaders, we become discouraged if we don't see uh, the instant shifts and the transitions taking place as fast as we want to. We, we tend to be, uh, you know, I'll just do it myself kind of thing and, and not taking long view. But um, for us, it's been helpful to uh, use Second um, Timothy 2.2 where Paul says to Timothy, you have heard me teach these things. They've been confirmed by people. Now teach these truths to trustworthy people who pass them on to others. So, so the way I say it is think for. So think for deep. So you or, or Paul passes on truth, leadership development principles, discipleship principles to someone else. That's number two. Who passes them on to trustworthy people who pass them on to others. We got to think, think for deep. So, in terms of discipleship or leadership development, you know, we're—I would argue—we're not really a disciple until we've made a disciple. But even push it beyond that, we're not really a disciple until we've made a disciple who makes disciples. So, in terms of leaders and leader development we're not really leading the way that we should be leading unless we're making leaders, building leaders. But again, it's beyond that. You got to think for, right. We're not really leaders until we're building leaders who are building leaders. Right. 
So we, I think, to answer your question, there's some some dialogue we need to have, and probably some. Uh, a lot of this is transferable and not necessarily unique to a situation. And and I would say, Paul, it, regardless of the size of your your ministry or your organization, this is this is works for families. This works for business. This works for you know pastors of small churches, mid-sized churches, large churches, and I've served in all of them. Um, it's about simply boiling it down. How can I be constantly doing what I call think for constantly thinking about how I can build leaders who build leaders. I think, I think sometimes we get so focused on the present need that we don't think about down the road. And so we get a leader. Well, let's plug that hole. Let's do like you mentioned before. I like that idea of thinking for deep that you're, you're not a disciple because Howard Hendricks, uh, Dow Theological Seminary professor for many, many years. He said, this is what a disciple is, a learner, a follower, and a reproducer. Right. And you're not actually a true disciple of Christ till all of those things are functioning in your life, reproducing the, you know, the fruit of the Spirit and those types of right. things. But it also means reproducing other disciples in your life, as deep, like as you mentioned, as four. So this is good stuff, and I think there would be a collective nod from our podcast audience going, yeah, yeah, good. Uh, the question then is, uh, where do we start? Where do we start with this? How do we get that culture started? And, of course, we're talking to lots of church multipliers, church planters. They're starting out a church brand new. They're setting the DNA. What yep. do they need to be doing to get this kind of culture started? So... Uh, you know, and we we've been working on this for quite a number of years. And I think it takes time. I think we got to be patient to recognize we got to wrestle with this for a long period of time. It's not going to turn around quickly. There's a guy Oliver Wendell Holmes. Uh, I think he was like a 17th century writer or judge or something. He said, "I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give my right leg for simplicity on the other side of complexity." So. What I would say is the first thing we need to have a mindset to recognize we need to wrestle with this and keep wrestling with this. And this is not going to be silver bullet, quick fix stuff. If that's what you're going to try to do, it's just going to be a flash in the pan, like, like a bunch of other stuff that you tried to do and failed and you don't do anymore. This is to me, um, trajectory setting. This is inflection point stuff that will move your ministry, your mindset, uh, the culture, of people who serve around you in a completely new direction. So some of the ways that we've done that, you have to build accountability systems for yourself in order to keep yourself on track. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we've changed all our job descriptions. So the primary metric of all my staff's job description is leader development. The, the primary thing that we measure everybody against is how many leaders have you put into the pipeline? How many leaders have you moved along the pipeline? And, you know, that becomes the thing you're measured on. So it's not how many people did you have out to your ministry moment. It's not, we still have to do those things, but they're, they're secondary. Because we figure if we build great leaders, then great ministry is going to take place. Yeah. So we, uh, so the way that I've done that is I created something called ACE. So it just stands for accountability, celebration, and evaluation. So the way that works for us in, in our world is accountability is peer accountability. So all my 
staff directors, and I, I could maybe uh, talk about how our pipeline works because it might not make total sense without understanding that side of it. But all our directors, we call them, our pastoral staff team, um, are have peer accountability uh, each week. And they have the same accountability partner for a month. And again, all of this is just about leadership development. They're not talking about when they're holding each other accountable. They're not talking about personal accountability. They're not talking about moral accountability. They're not talking about any other ministry account. It's only leadership development because that's the primary metric. It's the one big thing that we focus on. So they hold each other accountable. They ask each other three agile questions uh, every time they meet every week. What were you working on last week? What are you working on this week? And what's standing in your way? They ask each other these questions. They try to answer them, help coach one another. And so it's peer accountability. And those accountability partners rotate every month. Uh, Then monthly celebrations. We have our all staff together. And you reward what you want repeated. So we do this celebration. We'll celebrate something someone has done that is really related to their leader development in their their ministry department. And so we call them the Sheppy Awards. And uh, I give out a a gift card uh, to Tim Hortons and you know, we celebrate the person and talk about what they did and why, why it's good. And sometimes people ask questions, hey, how did you do that with your leaders and why is that working? And then third, the evaluation. So accountability, celebration, evaluation. The evaluation is with a direct report. So myself or my executive pastor. And so we have quarterly evaluations, not yearly evals. And again, even the evals are only based on the leadership development pipeline. We don't talk about anything else. They know exactly what I'm going to ask them. They're going to come. They're going to tell me how many team members they had last quarter versus this quarter, how many team leaders they had last quarter versus this quarter. We have another leadership position called coaches in there. How many coaches did you move along and tap on the shoulder and bring into the pipeline? And then we talk about what's working, what's not working, and why. And it's a 45-minute conversation where we evaluate together and problem solve based on our pipeline. So I don't know if that's too long an answer, but I'm, I'm just trying to say we need to build um, practical systems, metrics, uh, things that guardrails that keep us on task with leadership development. Um, and, you know, so the, the further that comes, so, so uh, I'll tell you this, uh, six and a half years ago, uh, seven years ago, when we kind of looking around the landscape, we said, you know what, we need to build the leaders we want to hire. And so we even started a, a leadership development program for junior high, senior high. And there's four modules. We use our business leaders to teach, uh, to coach those leaders through. It's not every kid can get in. There's a, there's testing go through. They got to get references from their school teacher and a few other things. But we started this leadership development program with junior high, senior high, because we said, at some point, we're going to hire these kids. These are going to be the kind of leaders we want to hire. And we just did. We just, the dream came true seven years later, which is so cool. So we just announced, they just started uh, last week, the beginning of the year. Wow. Uh, There are first, from our first crop of our junior high leadership development program, they went through the junior high leadership one, through the senior high leadership one, went to Bible college, 
finished for four, their four-year degree and just started with us this year where we're hiring the person where, you know, built the leader that we want to hire. So it's neat to kind of see the, the seven-year dream starting to come to fruition. But our ultimate dream is that it wouldn't just be for the church, but we want to build leaders that are the best leaders in their industry. Sure. So our our goal is that their company that they work for, anybody in our church is going to say, where did you learn your leadership skill and your leadership development? They're going to go, my church. Wow. And we want to have the best leaders going. Um, and that's going to take us some time. That's a, a big dream. But I think it starts by having those kinds of conversations, focusing on recognizing yeah. how important leadership development is. It's the only way you're going to get your culture to shift there. A couple things I just noticed in, you know, as you share, first of all, when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So, like, you know, like really drilling down, really drilling down on that. And the second part is to have a leadership pipeline, you're going to have to be patient. It's not yeah. going to happen right away. You've got to build systems. It's going to take time. I think young leaders out there that are planting churches going, where are we going to get the leaders? Yeah, it's just going to be a tough grind for those first three or four or five years till you, oh, yeah, for sure. till you really build that culture in. And so great thoughts, great, really practical advice. I hope people are taking notes out there. You also carry a different role. You're the assistant superintendent in the Western Ontario District. You're helping out with some of the strategy stuff. I want you to go maybe 10,000, 15,000 feet with me. At a local church level, you're the lead pastor. You're the one kind of driving vision, driving change. At a local church level, that's good. You know, we need that. How are we going to do this at a district or even a national level? And what will be some obstacles, barriers, mindsets that could work against this kind of change? Yeah, all by, I mean, you got another four hours. <laughs> um, so it'll honestly so, take that long to really drill oh, down. I, I know I'm putting you in the, you know, in the, in the, the hot seat here. But I did send the questions ahead of time. So hopefully you have something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually did get that far in your, in your question. Uh, it is the hot seat, but that's okay. I actually had a meeting this morning because uh, I chair our WOD strategy uh, team. And so I had a meeting this morning on this very thing. Uh, we are recognizing that as um, healthy and strong as, as things have been and are, things have to drastically and dramatically change. So from Western Ontario District's perspective, uh, a couple of years ago, we recognized we needed to shift from a management organization to a leadership development organization. So similar conversations are happening at our district level. Um, we've had some, you know, pretty large scale shifts in philosophy that um, we've, you know, we're, we're drilling down, we're getting there. It's, it's taking time. Here's, here's the thing I, I would, I would just say first in terms of the patience aspect of this districts move slower than churches. So as a, as a pastor in my church, and here's the primary reason why I can stand up every Sunday and talk vision. Right. And I can bring people along every single week, mm -hmm. but districts, you don't have the luxury of that. You don't have the opportunity that you've got a conference, once a year where maybe 30 to 40% of people show up 
Uh, and then most of the time they're out talking in the hall anyway. <laughs> when the sessions are happening. We're not going to name. We're not going to name any names, but you know who you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, you just you just don't have the same kind of leverage to move things as fast. So this is why this is what actually excites me about leadership development pipelines. Is this is the only way it will work is through a true leadership development empowerment pipeline taking place. Yeah. It, it can't be done the way it was done before, which is, you know, the indispensable hero leader stands up and yeah. says, I climbed the mountain, got the vision from God, and I'm downloading it to all of you. It, it just, yeah. those, the days of the indispensable hero are over. Yeah, totally. And so um, we're in the middle right now of trying to figure out how that will work. And it will mean some pretty tough conversations because the way we've done it is not the way we're going to do it anymore. Right. And if you broaden it out to a national level, you're bringing, now you're bringing more people. Like, it's interesting when I tell people about meetings sometimes you have with people, the more people you add to the meeting multiplies the effect because you're not actually adding to the meeting, you're multiplying because that one person you're adding affects every single person in the room. So right. there's a multiplication of complexity. So as we broaden it out to our our eight districts, as we broaden it out to our, you know, close to 4,000 credential holders or whatever that number is, uh, yeah, now all of a sudden things move even slower. So there has to be a compelling enough vision for people to say no to what we used to do and yes to something new, right? Yeah, I would agree. And I would say things... Things I don't want to give the wrong impression. I think things move slow if we if if we it takes a while to build something solid, but we can get back to being a movement that moves fast and furious, if you will, with stable infrastructure. So there's an interesting kind of story about that with Facebook. Right. Their internal model used to be move fast and break things. <laughs> that was their internal model. It yeah. was move fast, break things, move fast. We're, we're breaking ceilings or breaking paradigms. We're moving fast. But then when they scaled, they got so big, they realized that wasn't sustainable any longer. Yeah. So they actually shifted their internal model from move fast and break things to move fast with stable infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually have to have the infrastructure, the state, but the way that we get back to that is if we are all on the same page, literally in terms of what our one big thing is and mm -hmm. how that needs to be, who needs to be empowered and how that empowering takes place. So my perspective on this is what I call the inverted strategic model. And so I'll, I, maybe I'll talk about it for a second uh, from the local church perspective and then and then talk about how I see that translating uh, districts and nationally. So for me, most organizations operate with a, a normal triangle, if you will, with the lead pastor or the leader at the top and then staff down further and the board and then, you know, leaders and, and then the, the congregation, the people at the bottom. And I, I see it it flipped. I see the kingdom is upside down on a lot of things. And I, I see that that's how Jesus operated. It's, it's flipped. So I, in, in this congregation, the, 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 the wide part of the triangles at the top, that's the congregation. We are called to equip people for the work of the ministry. That's, 
what our role is, um, as we know, you know, the Ephesians 4 stuff. And so it's the congregation at the top. And so the way we do that is the congregation s- listens to God and helps set the vision. So I pastor it, but we, we have vision summits three, at least three times a year where together we listen for, to God for the future of the church. It's not just me telling everybody. So the congregation is at the top. We're empowering and equipping them to do the work of the ministry. And then again in our pipeline. So we call them team members. Then we have team leaders who support them. Then we have coaches who support them. We have directors who support them. And then the and directors are paid staff. And I have board uh, who support them. And then I'm at the bottom of the triangle, the little point at the bottom, and I support the whole, the whole thing. And so to me, um, it's not people serving me. It's, it's me serving them. And so the way I see that is the, is the triangle keeps going in our fellowship. So it's the district that should support me as a credential holder, as a leader, as a pastor, facilitating me supporting my people doing the work of the ministry. It's not the district telling me what to do or how to do it. It's supporting me as I do it. And then it's the national office who supports the districts, who support the pastors, who support the people. So I think with that lens, if we if we all are on that lens and empowerment, it's less about the the experts who have somehow risen to get enough votes to get the job, uh, who tell everybody what to do, but it's more about utilizing uh, and empowering people who um, are trained, developed, skilled, understand what it is that God's empowered them to do. I, I don't know if that's convoluted at the end, but what I'm trying to say is there's an empowerment mechanism that if we do this properly with pipeline, we'll become a movement again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stop being a top down autocratic dictatorial hierarchical organization, not to say anything disparaging about anybody who's currently operating in, in district levels of which I'm one of them. <laughs> but, but it's to understand that to make that shift, Polly, like to go from what is to what needs to be, there's going to be some tough conversations. There's going to need to be blowing up some structures and, you know, the way we've done it, we just cannot do it anymore like that and survive. It's just not going to happen. No. And, uh, you know, you're leading me to that next question. Uh, what will happen if we don't? But let me just make a quick comment about that empowerment thing. I think that's a huge deal. I think we need to be way more permission giving and uh, less risk adverse because the second you empower people, it it's going to get messy. It's going to be different. And change always brings pain. Yeah, for sure. It always brings some pain, and which is why we don't like doing it. But it's absolutely necessary. So why don't you flesh out that thought a bit more? What happens if we just in a, just take a minute? What happens if we don't make this change towards leadership pipeline and development? Um, yeah, I shudder to think, frankly. I, you know, um, let me let me talk about the positive side first because you, you stepped on something there that I want to just talk about. I, I remember hearing my dad praying for holy chaos i never really understood what what he meant or what he was driving at over time and conversation i learned 
And obviously there's order to God. We know that God is a God of order. But God's order sometimes seems chaotic to us because we like things in our order, not necessarily in his. And if you if you think about the expansion of the church, if you think about how you know church explosion happened in uh, in the early church, it was unbelievably chaotic in in some ways to to our view from our lens. Man, could, could we be bold enough and permission giving enough to pray for holy chaos again? Yeah, that the birthing of the spirit in new churches and raising up new leaders who yeah. have the the courage and the boldness, spirit boldness, empowered by the spirit to step out, and that means they're going to start churches right down the road from some people, and we need to be okay with that. Right. Uh, in fact, not only okay, we need to celebrate it and support it, and recognize we're all on the same team and and try to help it happen. Um. And, and I think, yeah, permission giving, holy chaos, that's what we need again. The alternative is, you know, you might be able to live, we might be able to live on the backs of the work that people have done generations before us because we, you know, we are a substantial size in Canada. We might be able to eke out an existence. You might even be able to make it to retirement and, uh, you know, live a good life and, and do okay. But at the end of the day, I'm not interested in just doing okay. I think if we really desperately um, are going to God in our daily prayer life, praying for the people who are driving down the road beside our churches or seeing all the bruised and bleeding broken people, we're, we're just not going to allow ourselves to let our territory or our borders restrict um, the kind of empowerment that needs to happen to see people's lives changed. Our country is not going in the right direction. We need to see a shift. Yeah. I use the phrase, if we're serious. Yeah. Like if we're serious about reaching Canada, we're going to radically make some changes. Yeah. If we're not, we're going to keep doing what we've always done. Agreed. So I use the phrase, if we're serious, we'll actually begin to make some changes and uh, totally agree with that thought. And uh, yeah, it's going to get messy, but, it's also going to reach people and new people are going to come to Jesus and not everything's going to work. And that's okay that, that we, that we allow a certain amount of failure so that we can learn from it and get better and grow. Not everything has to be, you know, I've used the phrase uh, safe is dangerous. Yeah. In in every area of life, safe is safe, except when it comes to the, the gospel and faith safe is the most dangerous thing you can do. And so I appreciate your thoughts about that. We're going to end today with some rapid fire questions. Do you have one more thing you want to mention? Yeah, I was I was just going to say, just on that note, real quick. Um, you know, I, I was giving some thought to reading through Third Third John actually, and, and there's a really interesting juxtaposition between two types of leaders that John gives in that letter between. Uh, Diotrephes and Demetrius. So I won't go into all the thoughts that I wrote about it, but I will say this. Um, you know, I think sometimes we are not as serious as we need to be, to use your language. And this is not about what we're not talking about here is scaling our ministries so we can have recognition. What we're not talking about is somebody else's church is growing faster than mine. 
I need that platform or that profile. Um, what I'm talking about is genuinely owning the, the call of God as a believer to make disciples and make disciples who make disciples in order to transform uh, this nation to see it operate in the kingdom of God. And so maybe it's not, and I, and I just feel like to say to people who, you know, feel like moving on to another church is the way to do that. And it may be for you, but it may be that God's just calling you to a greater dimension of faithfulness and selflessness and integrity and, and serving Jesus where you're at. You don't always have to move on to move up. And it may be that God's just, instead of focusing on getting bigger, we need to get better. And that doesn't mean we're not multiplying. It means that we're actually not multiplying churches. We will. It means we need to multiply ourselves in leaders and, and disciples first. Let's get better at doing that. And the get bigger will take care of itself. I uh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's funny, even just, you know, as you talk about just simple things, about making disciples and, you know, churches will grow and, and uh, you know, it's the same thing. Sometimes we, we do, we do things inverted. Like we, we plant a church and hope the gospel will grow yeah, rather than exactly. planting the gospel and, and seeing a church grow. So, right. you know, it's just that the, these simple things that I think God is, God is, you know, speaking new things to not new, they're not new to any of us, but maybe fresh and reminding us that these are the important things that we need to be focusing on. And if we're not doing it as leaders, like let's just maybe before the rapid fire, let me just yeah. push on all of us with this. Okay. I, I sat with a, with a young leader who is uh, getting prepared to launch uh, a new location, a new site, not with us, with another organization. He wanted to sit with me and talk to me about a number of different things, which I was excited to do. It's one of the things I love to do the most. And so we were having a, a really good conversation about um, what he hopes to see and, you know, people bringing their friends and neighbors and new believers and all that kind of stuff. And he was lamenting a little bit about, oh, a little bit, a lot of it, about the current place he was in that pe the church just doesn't bring their friends. They don't bring new people. They, they don't make new, new converts or new disciples for Christ. And so, I was just listening and I just said to him, can you name me the names of five people you invited to church in the last two weeks? And he just kind of looked at me and his wife was sitting with him and she kind of put her head down and he goes, um, uh, uh, and I said, so you're stammering either because you've got a bad memory and you don't remember names really well, or you didn't invite anybody for the last I said, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus who didn't know Jesus? And I'm not trying to embarrass him, so I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it was a really good conversation. I said, look, if you aren't inviting people to church, if you aren't, you can't, you can't get down on the church for not doing something you're not willing to do. Right. And one of the most powerful things from my church is when they see me bring someone to church and they sit beside me on the front row because that's where the pastors sit and they think it's a guest speaker. But it's not a guest speaker. It's just a buddy of mine that I've met or somebody that I've invited to church and they're there and I want them to sit with me because I'm their friend. So 
I had that happen a couple of years ago. I brought a, brought a guy and never been to church before. He's in his forties and comes to church with me, sits, where am I going to sit? Sit beside me. Oh, okay. So he sits there and I just said to him, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to talk for a few minutes and then I'm going to come back down. Okay. And you okay. So I go up and I preach and then I come back down. Like he was just, it was all new to him. It was all amazing. But that, that guy, you know, gave his heart to the Lord. He started discipling another guy who's coming to, to the church on a regular basis. I just think we got to challenge ourselves, right? We got to be willing to look in the mirror and say, I can't be expecting somebody else to do something I'm not doing. Right. Yeah. And now you're meddling, (laughs) but I like it. That's good. That's a great, great thought. So what we're doing on uh, multiply network podcast is we just kind of do some rapid fire questions at the end. So here we go. Favorite brand of golf clubs? Uh, Callaway. Tim Hortons or Starbucks? Tim Hortons, but I don't drink coffee, so I don't go to either. Okay. Best book you read in 2018? Oh, man. So many. I would say the best book, um, most helpful book for me would be a book called The Third Option by Miles McPherson. Uh, It's about um, uh, integration of different cultures. Okay. And I think in the, in the state of what our current culture is, it was really important. Good. Favorite preacher, present company excluded. Sorry. I didn't hear that because it cut out. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Favorite preacher, present company excluded. Uh, You won't let me say Paul Fraser, eh? Uh, Favorite preacher, I would say is a guy named Dr. Robert Spence uh, from the States. Just a powerful, incredible preacher. Give us a, Give us a great time management tip. Shut off your devices. Okay. No, so I would so just to clarify that uh, there's something called switching costs. Okay. And every time you get interrupted, it kills your productivity. Okay. You got to shut down your email, shut off your calendar, shut down your phone, and that'll help you stay focused. Uh, Stanley Cup final. Who's going to be in it? Leafs. And I don't care. Okay. Professional sports, if you could play anyone. Golf. Golf? Yeah, for sure. Your most used app on your phone? Um, I would say probably like texting messages. Okay. Favorite restaurant? I don't eat out much. I I would say Tim favorite restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, there's a restaurant here my wife loves called Canyon Creek, and they have an incredible maple glazed cedar plank salmon that I love. Okay, least favorite exercise at the gym? Deadlifts. And if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? I would say Australia because I've never been and always wanted to go. And if you could give uh, those in the podcast audience a blessing and encouragement for 2019, what would it be? I would say I I truly believe that we are on the cutting edge, the fresh edge of a great, fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God. Yeah. And we've got to believe and dream for it. And I would encourage everyone to dream again. I think as we get older, we forget how to dream and imagine. When we're kids... We're constantly imagining what could be. I, I, I was constantly thinking I would, you know, drain the 
last shot in the NBA finals yeah, or yeah, yeah. drain a 12 foot putt to win the, the U S open, the Canadian open. I was constantly doing that stuff as a kid. You were too. We yeah, all did. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, reality seems to smack some of that out of us. And I would just encourage and inspire everybody to dream again. Come on. Like imagine what could be, imagine what God could do in you and through you and what God wants to do and dream again. What we're doing, we're doing that right now as a congregation where we're having what we call our, our, our 10 X dreams, our 10 times dreams. So we're not just dreaming. How do we become 10% more effective in all of our core values, but how could we be 10 times more effective? What would it look like if we were a church that wasn't, you know, serving 1500 people, but 15,000 people, what would it look like if we didn't just, you know, care for people when the office doors are open, we had 24 seven care facility. What would it look like if we just didn't raise up, you know, 600 leaders this year, but we had a leadership center that was, you know, and, and some of those things seem unrealistic and impossible, frankly, because who are we? We're just, we're just really normal people, but it forces us to just think God-sized dreams. And I would say this, you know, Ephesians 3.20, that he's able to do immeasurably above all we could ask or imagine, according to his work that's as power that's at work within us. I think we got to start asking and we got to start imagining bigger. Thanks. And if we start asking and we start imagining bigger, it's going to happen. Thanks for that encouragement, because I know there's people out there that are, you know, looking at the new year going, oh, it's going to be tough, but just a real good encouragement. We'll end there. Thanks so much, Kevin, for being on the podcast today. For sure. Thanks so much. 